This is The Guardian. Today, mortgage payments up, house prices down. What is going on inside Britain's housing market? Four months ago, house prices were rising at the fastest rate they had in 18 years. The average price of a property in the UK had hit £295,000, almost nine times the average salary, spiralling to more than half a million if you were buying in London. I haven't seen a market that heated in the 10 years I've worked here. Peter May is the sales director of an independent estate agency in North East London. And he's walking me through my old neighbourhood, past familiar cafes and Turkish grocers and rows of lovely Victorian terraces. For a very long time, as an area, we're capping out in value at roughly 1.6, maybe 1.7 if we were lucky. Did you say million, by the way, just to clarify, it was 1.6 <laughs> 1. 6 or 1.7 million pounds? 1.6 to 1.7 million pounds. Okay. There are a handful of examples where we've broken the 2 million pound mark. Yeah. It couldn't and didn't last. We were expecting things to quieten down, but I don't think any of us expected it to happen this quickly. Mm. And we were expecting things to subside. What we were experiencing wasn't sustainable. The fallout from Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget in September torpedoed the mortgage market. Interest rates shot up, people had their mortgage offers withdrawn, House sales fell through, and the pressure added on to the rental market became even more intense. It really has been, within a period of two to four weeks, post-mini-budget, which yeah. did compound things, uh, it's almost as if somebody turned the taps off in terms of demand. Because sellers understand that if they lose their buyer, they're probably not going to sell for the same value again. Yeah. And buyers, if they lose their purchase, are now going back to a mortgage market which looks very, very different and it's highly likely that they're going to be borrowing at a much higher rate. The consequences could be life-changing for people, stuck with monthly repayments they can no longer afford. So do you expect repossessions? I, I would expect there will be yeah, more, more repossessions coming. I think there's going to be a group of people who unfortunately can no longer afford. Who max themselves out. Who max themselves out at a very low cost of borrowing, who are now coming out of that fixed period and suddenly are going to get hit with a much, much higher monthly outgoing, which is going to, unfortunately, create another market of people that will need to move. From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Nikbal. Today in Focus, is the UK headed for a housing market crash? Vicky, could you introduce yourself and tell me a bit about your situation? My name's Vicky Harlock. I live in Aylesbury and Bucks with my husband and three kids. And we're in rented at the moment. We've been saving for a long time to finally have a place of our own. Getting to the point of looking had taken us the best part of 10 years. We actually went and lived with my mum for 15 months at one stage to try and get the money together to buy a house. I took my husband and two of my children back to my childhood home for 15 months. Oh, wow. 
Bless. <laughs> Was your bedroom still the same? <laughs> no, thankfully the posters had gone and they were indeed take that posters. And then um, on the hottest day of the year this year, we put an offer in on our dream house. I love that house so much. Tell me about the house. So it's a four bed, literally every single box that we needed to tick, it ticked. We were like, yeah, this is the one. Why is that goal, that dream of having your own home so important to you? The big one for me that's always weighed on my mind is I can't really afford to be paying rent or a mortgage when I'm retired. So that's a, a big thing. I think also having security, you know, we've been in the situation before when we've rented that the landlords turned around and said, I'm really sorry, I'm getting a divorce. Um, you have to get out because we need to sell the house. And suddenly we had a month, two months to get out. Let's talk about this dream home. You found it at the height of summer. You put an offer in. It was accepted. What happens next? Everything was progressing Brilliantly, we'd managed to get our offer in and secured before the Bank of England put the rates up. Um, so we had a lovely rate of three point something very low. And then the vendor's own purchase fell through. And we got to the point where we were like, well, there is 15 weeks left on our mortgage offer. When the bank make a offer of a, a specific mortgage, they will say to you, right, you can buy this house. Um, we will lend you this amount of money. And that offer for a particular rate is valid for six months. And then if you haven't um, completed and moved in by that 26 week point, then you have to get a new offer. And it would be based on whatever the rates are in February. Now, I have no idea what the rates are going to be in February, but they're not going to be 3.17%. Do you have any idea how much that new mortgage will be in real terms? If I applied for the mortgage today, it would cost me £500 a month more in interest than exactly the same house did eight weeks ago. And as those weeks are passing by, we then have the mini budget. The markets react badly and interest rates start shooting up. The huge fallout from Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget is continuing, despite most of the policies being abandoned. Fenced off from first-time buyers, soaring mortgage rates mean those trying to get on the property ladder right now are instead stuck where they are. How does that affect you? The mini-budget actually ended up doing even more of a number on us. Because of what was happening, we knew that we were losing the dream house. A house across the street came up for sale. Because it's across the street, it's identical. And it was actually £10,000 cheaper. And we put an offer in on that house. And we'll just try and transfer the mortgage or we'll get a new one at the slightly higher rate, but it's ten grand less, so maybe it'll average out. And that was the day that all of the banks pulled all of their mortgage offers <laughs> on the same day. In all, some 18 companies have withdrawn mortgage deals and the list is being added to all the time. When the offers are back on the table, you'll be paying more, for some close to double the previous fixed rate. So our offer was accepted at four o'clock in the afternoon and at like six o'clock in the evening, the mortgage product that we had no longer existed. Oh, wow. Because of the mini budget. <laughs> My husband and I are trying to decide what do we do? 
if we want to keep the same budget per month in mortgage costs, then we can buy £90,000 less house, <laughs> which around here is, an, is a very, very different type of house. It sounds so stressful. I mean, Vicky, what are your options now? It's a bit of a guessing game and a bit of a gamble. And I think the thing is we are gambling with tens of thousands of pounds. We're kind of going towards waiting a couple of months. And if house prices start to come down, then we might wait out longer. The other option would be for us to buy a flat or a smaller property, rent it out and kind of try and step up the equity that way and then eventually use that equity to buy our own home in the future. Chances are by the time we've got that, actually the kids probably would have moved out anyway. <laughs> we desperately need more space, but I'm also appreciative that actually... We're probably one of the lucky ones because the house is not dire and we still have a roof over our heads. It's just so frustrating that we were that close and now it feels like it's just back to being impossible again. Jones, you're acting editor of The Guardian's Money section. Can you explain to me why in the UK we are so obsessed with owning property? I mean, it's so many things, I think. I mean, it was the Thatcher government that brought in the right to buy policy in 1980. Anyone who wants to own his own home can expect help from a conservative government. If you've been a council tenant for at least three years, you'll have the right by law to buy your house, and that's that. Which let council tenants buy their homes at big discounts. And a lot of people sort of say that that sort of changed the way we sort of viewed property, that houses became something that you make money from rather than just somewhere where you live. I mean, there were other factors as well. During the 80s, mortgages became more widely available. Then buy-to-let took off as a phenomenon. I think a lot of it as well is this whole, you hear people say, well, my property is my pension. I think a lot of people just have got a lifelong distrust of financial and investment products. And bricks and mortar is just sort of something that is much more tangible. I think it's also been fueled by all those TV shows. You've got, you know, right. obviously, as we know, grand designs, location, location, location. You know what they say about an Englishman's home is his castle? Putting me Ooh. into moving home. Oh, my good heavens. I mean, we know the way it goes with those shows. It's always a cliffhanger. It's always going to go wrong. Torrential rain meant the lime mortar simply washed away. And spiralling costs forced them to bid farewell to their contractor. And then it's all wonderful and, you know, that is quite beautiful. I sort of think in a way they're a bit like, it's like a pre-Instagram version of sort of parading your perfect life, isn't it really? But the other thing, the sort of inconvenient truth, if you like, is that lots of people have got very rich from owning property. And we all probably know people, you know, they had a house, they bought it for £50,000. And then now it's worth a million pounds or whatever. So I think it's sort of all of those things and probably more, really. So, Rupert, what has the story of house prices been in this country in recent years? So the last time that we actually had 
a house price crash was basically in the wake of the 2007 to 2008 financial crisis. Tonight at 10, Northern Rock appeals for calm and urges its customers not to panic. Customers queue outside some of the bank's branches, but the Chancellor says it's a sound business. The average UK house price dropped by about 15% in less than 18 months. Then in 2013, now the government launched the Help to Buy home buying scheme, which is now actually finally coming to uh, an end. So that gave the housing market a boost. Now, when we had the pandemic kicking off in early 2020, I mean, there were loads and loads of predictions that house prices would crash. But of course, what happened is that they just went onwards and upwards and they ended up going up by 20% plus, I think. I was looking at some Halifax figures. They had their house price figures out. The numbers seem to suggest, according to them, that house prices have risen by roughly 75% in the last 10 years. And in fact, this week, they said that average property prices have risen by more than £22,000 in the past 12 months. That's more than some people earn. And by almost £60,000 in the last three years. Staggering figures. And what do you think was fueling that rush in the pandemic when everyone was predicting that, yeah, as you've said, it would have been sort of doomy times for homeowners, for anyone really, but actually the market went a bit mad? The thing with the housing market is that the housing market has a lot of form when it comes to thumbing its nose at the sort of the doomsters, at defying expectations and even defying gravity, really. And I think the pandemic was a really good example, really. Millions of people ended up sort of radically rethinking how they wanted to live, where they wanted to live. You know, you had this thing that was dubbed the race for space. Working from home meant that you wanted to have a different kind of home. You wanted to relocate from the cities, the urban areas. People sort of wanted to move to the countryside, to the seaside, to a village. With its quaint villages and rolling hills, the Yorkshire Dales have long attracted second homeowners. But now the pandemic has turbocharged the number of people seeking that countryside bolt hole and amid the beauty... And they, they weren't just pieces you read in the Saturday supplements. They, they were, that was actually happening I mean, it well. re- No, 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 it really was. I mean, you're right. There was a lot of that. And also during the pandemic, there was a stamp duty holiday that was announced a few months in. That, again, ironically, was supposed to ward off a collapse in the housing market but as we have uh, established that they needn't have worried about that because it all just it just turbocharged it more and also at the beginning of the pandemic the bank of england cut interest rates to just 0.1% which is a lo- lowest ever level so that meant there were these sort of amazingly good value mortgages around so there was this artificial sense of security that was being held in these low interest rates and actually what we've seen since then is a rapid rise and several increases by the Bank of England, which has been a huge shock to a lot of us. Rupert, is the era of low rates totally over now? If you sort of look back at some of that stuff, I would say in a way, perhaps we shouldn't be shocked. You know, I mean, clearly what goes down quite fast can go up quite fast. So the Bank of England hiked the base rate by 0.75 percentage points to 3%. So that's where we are at the moment. This week, the Bank of England was sort of signalling that interest rates will have to go higher. And when we've got the next announcement, yeah, yeah. I mean, the next announcement is due on the 15th of December. So I think we can expect another hike there. But now some economists are sort of saying they think it might only, in inverted commas, only have to go up to maybe three and a half percent or four percent. Some people say there might only be the need for one more rate rise. Can you explain how the Bank of England's rise in interest rates? Because after all, people on the outside might look at it and think it's it's just a couple of percent. How has it affected people's mortgage payments? It does affect different 
mortgage holders in different ways. So there's just over 2 million people who are on a what you call a variable rate mortgage of some sort. That's a mortgage that basically goes up or down either in line with the base rate or in line with the lender that you were with their rate. You know, we do need to keep remembering that about 75% of the mortgages that are out there are fixed rates. And they're people who may be fixed on a good rate for sort of like five years, maybe even 10 years. They do not have to worry. They're insulated from all of this chaos, if you like, until their deals expire. But of course, as we know, there are a big swathe of people out there whose deals are about to expire or sort of running out now. Hello, my name is Amanda Wilson. I live in Redhill, Surrey. Um, I am self-employed as a mobile beauty therapist. I live with my youngest daughter, who's 26. I have two older daughters who've got families of their own, so I'm a grandma. Can you tell me about where you live and your home? It's a three-stroke, four-bedroom house. It's a great house. I bought it in 2007 and the house has a lot of potential. But to be honest, it's a bit run down now because I've just not had much money to spend on it because of my situation. Well, tell me a bit more about that. In 2007, why was it important to you to own a home in the first place? Let's start there. Right, well, I already owned a home, but it wasn't big enough. We were all living in a little two-bedroom bungalow and this house that we I currently have came up for sale on the same mm-hmm. road and um, decided to see if I could buy it. So I got a mortgage with Northern Rock. I think I'm starting to find out now that I was possibly missold the mortgage, but I, it was what I could afford at the time and I could afford it and I've been mm-hmm. paying it for many, many years. So obviously I could afford it. I'm not stupid, you know, I I looked into all this when I took out the mortgage. I was satisfied that I could make those payments and Mm. I always have done because that's the person I am. Your house is your most important asset. You have to pay your mortgage. If you don't mind me asking specifics, because I think it's the numbers that really hit home to people, what were your typical mortgage payments like at the beginning? I was on a fixed rate and I think the original payments were around 1300 a month. And the interest rate at the time on that mortgage? It was on 5.19% with Northern Rock, fixed for two years. Right. But when the two years were up, Northern Rock had failed by that time. So by 2009, the interest rate was about half a percent, according mm. to my according to my notes. But yeah. mine stayed on around 5% for many, many years, and now it's on over 7%. And that half a percent was the Bank of England's rate, right? So while lots of people's mortgages came down to reflect that really, really low interest rate, you were stuck with 5% because your mortgage lender, Northern Rock, went under... And then the government stepped in and resold your mortgage to another company with very high rates of interest. Yeah. And these people, they're not mortgage lenders. This is the problem. They bought our mortgages. We weren't consulted. We weren't even kept informed. Mine has been bought and sold so many times. It's gone through so many different companies. 
And when the Bank of England was cutting interest rates by 2%, half a percent here, half a percent there, and went down to a quarter of a percent, ours all stayed at 5%. And they didn't have to follow or track the Bank of England rate. Amanda is what's become known as a mortgage prisoner. She found herself suddenly owing money, not to the bank she'd originally borrowed from, but from another institution. And the new one wouldn't offer her the kind of competitive rates of before. Far from it. And every time the Bank of England raised interest rates, the effect would be magnified by her lender into bigger and bigger monthly payments. And on top of that, Amanda can't remortgage with another company because now she wouldn't pass the affordability criteria. So she's stuck with a really high monthly payment to her current lender. We, we, call, them, we call them the vultures, the vulture funds. I think of them as, as loan sharks because I spend all my money on paying the mortgage. Oh, it's not even paying the mortgage, it's paying the interest. That's the next question I was going to ask. So you're not even able to pay off your house. You're only paying the interest on the mortgage loan that you took out in the first place to buy the house and none of the debt that you actually owe on it. And the outstanding amount has gone up because I took a payment holiday during COVID when I wasn't allowed to work. And so I now owe them even more. So it will be even harder to remortgage. And now that the rates are going up, mine has gone up eight times now since last November, and it's followed the Bank of England rates, so it's now gone up to 7.04%. And that means I don't even know yet how much my next mortgage payment will be, but my last one was £1,830 on the 1st of November, and that's up from 1200 Amanda, how have you been coping? It was hard, Mm. and it was hard to find that money. I've had some health issues since, my daughter helps, um, my other daughters help, and I, I feel awful because I should be helping them, you know? I should be taking it easy now, instead I'm worrying. And I think I'm pretty resigned to the fact that I'm gonna lose my home. I don't know where I'll end up because I can't get a mortgage, so I'm not really sure what's gonna happen. But I feel like a failure because I feel like I've let my family down, I've let my oh, children Amanda. down. It's hard because, you know, I, I envisaged, I'm 57 now, I envisaged myself sort of starting to take it easy now. Amanda, I'm so, so sorry. And I think a lot of listeners would be surprised to know that the difficulty, actually, the reality of what it means. Because I think a lot of the the narrative is that it's people making feckless decisions, maxing themselves out. But listening to your story, of course, you know, you, you did everything you were supposed to do. I have never, ever missed a mortgage payment. Apart from my payment holiday during um, COVID, I didn't take on more than I could chew. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't go out. I don't have a social life anymore. We haven't had holidays. My children really missed out on their childhoods and, and I feel responsible for that because everything was going on the mortgage and there was just never anything to... There was never anything left at the end of the, the month or the week, you know. There was never money for treats. There was never money to go out and do nice things. And I feel like I keep coming back to this. I feel like I let them down. I feel like I've let my kids down, and that's the hardest part.
Rupert, it might seem hard to get our heads around, but as a result of the interest rate hikes we've seen in recent weeks, it seems that people who, on paper at least, have a house worth potentially tens, even hundreds of thousands of pounds, are essentially now in poverty. So the Joseph Roundtree Foundation said just a few days ago, they put out a report saying that an extra, I think it was 120,000 households, which I think is the equivalent of about 400,000 people, they were saying basically will be plunged into poverty over the coming year as a result of higher mortgage rates. I mean, we, we sort of use this expression, asset rich cash poor. I mean, we've often sort of talked about that in the past with sort of older people who paid off their mortgages and they're sitting in this sort of rattling around in this big house, maybe worth several hundred thousand pounds, really. Um, But they're struggling to keep it heated, maybe. And in some cases, they're going to be struggling to even put food on the table. It is this problem of being cash poor. And yet yet the bricks and mortar that are around you are actually worth a lot of money. But how do you, you can't, It's a weird reality for Britain to be living through, isn't it? And I do wonder, do you think the government are actually doing enough? I mean, anything to help these households who are already being clobbered by high energy bills and inflation at the supermarket, and now the risk of higher mortgage payments that they simply cannot afford? As I say, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what is in the autumn statement. I think there's pressure on the government clearly to do something to help at least some of the mortgage holders and or sort of tenants who are um, struggling with high rents. Now, Rishi Sunak gave an interview a few days ago. He said that he talked about how he sort of recognises the anxiety that uh, people have about mortgages. A lot of the focus really is on tackling rising inflation. That seems to be the sort of the key. But as I say, I think there is going to be pressure on the government to sort of do something to help people. And obviously, not everyone is a homeowner or even looking to buy. So Rupert, what does this mean for renters? How does all of this affect them? With obviously a lot of buy-to-let landlords, I mean, some of them will have bought properties outright, but obviously a hell of a lot of them out there, they have got mortgages as well. And some of them are going to be taking decisions about what they want to do. One thing that may well happen with landlords is that they may just decide to push up the rents and see if there's someone out there who is willing and able to pay it. And... Others will just decide that this is the time to sell up. And a lot of this is because of severe shortages of rental properties. Basically, there's just not enough homes out there available to rent to to meet the demand. So according to Rightmove, one of the property websites, they were saying that advertised rents in places like Manchester have gone up by 20% plus over the past year. And in London, I think it's about 16%. And the trouble is, first-time buyers, they're going to have to carry on renting for longer now at more inflated prices because they've been priced out of buying. Some of them, to be fair, may just take the view that they would rather sit it out at the moment. You know, we've got the autumn statement on the 17th. Who knows what they might pull out of the bag on that really or what impact that might have on the markets. And I think a lot of us are thinking if we're already living through what is now going to be quite a long recession, Um, cost of living crisis is very much a real thing. Why is it that the Bank of England is adding more stresses to this and increasing interest rates? It's inflation, really. Inflation is seen as, if you like, the the number one thing that has got to be sort of tamed. And is the way to do that to increase interest rates? Well, it is seen as one of the levers. I mean, it's so hard, isn't it, with, you know, because as we know, so much of what's happening with inflation because of factors that are outside of our control, obviously, with sort of, I mean, obviously, it's the 
whole thing with uh, energy bills with in terms of what's happening following uh you know russia's invasion of ukraine a lot of it is about sort of post-pandemic stuff you know because obviously there was a, a lot of issues in terms of sort of supply chain things which are still sort of recovering so yeah there's so many sort of big macro things that are going on but yeah interest rates is seen as sort of one of the you know the main levers really coming up Buying, selling, renting, or remortgaging, what do the experts think is on the horizon? Rupert, working on the personal finance desk, you are spending hours a day poring over data, hearing from experts, and based on everything you see, Are we headed for a housing market crash? And if so, what would that look like? Everyone you'll talk to will have a different prediction. I mean, on a daily basis at the moment, we're getting predictions from banks, economists, um, all different sort of commentators about uh, how much house prices are going to fall by, whether there's going to be a crash. I mean, I'm... Not sure. The thing I sort of keep going back to in my mind is this sort of, the, you know, the UK sort of housing market keeping sort of defying expectations. I mean, I've, I was seeing surveys in the last few days, people saying that 16% of homeowners are looking to sell up in the next year. A, a survey that said that 26% of buy-to-let landlords are planning to sell up. If we get a sort of big increase in supply, that could certainly bring down prices a bit or bring down prices a lot, i.e., a crash. There's loads of predictions, really. I mean, I've seen, um, so you've got an estate agent like Savills, I think they were predicting UK house prices would fall by 10% in 2023. You know, there were sort of small falls uh, in October, but the annual rate of house price growth is still seven, eight percent, that sort of that sort of order. So we're still sort of up, you know, they are still up that sort of level on last year. So yeah, a, a fall of, if you said a fall of 10%, when you look at it, like that really it makes you sort of think yes this isn't this isn't something that's going to sort of take houses back to average property values back to what they were many years ago one of the bosses of nationwide was um he was being pressed by mps for what he thought was going to happen and he gave this brilliant answer where he said he said the nationwide had four wide-ranging economic scenarios for what happens next and he was saying my best case is slowly increasing house prices and my worst case is potentially a 30% fall. And though he was saying that these are the two extremes, I thought that was a really good, that sort of in a way is a really good representative answer, I think. There's so many things. I mean, the housing market was able to beat COVID. And it's going to be really interesting to see if this is such such a cocktail of sort of horribleness, really, that this is going to maybe prove too much for the housing market, really. Amanda, it's really heartbreaking to hear how difficult your situation is. What does the future now look like for you? You know, I, I have I have good days and I have bad days, but on the bad days, they're very dark. It, you, I despair sometimes, you know, I just don't know what's coming. When they were talking about interest rates going up by, I think they were saying it could have been 2% on the 3rd of November. I was, I just felt physically sick for about a week. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. 
I was just worrying constantly about it. And this is what happens. You become obsessed because it, it, it just takes over. And it shouldn't. Life shouldn't be about constantly worrying about paying a mortgage. So I'll keep doing the lottery and hope that <laughs> comes along. But there are so many people that are much worse off than me and they need help. We all, we all, we all need help. Really hope that some help comes from somewhere soon. Amanda, I'm wishing you so much luck and rooting for things to get better. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Amanda Wilson. Thanks also to Vicky Harlock and Rupert Jones, The Guardian's acting money editor. You can find all of his reporting on personal finance at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and Klitsia Sala. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers were Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>